Blog Talk Radio. This is Marty Oakley of the PPJ Gazette Online. This is the TS Radio Network. Our show tonight is going to be a banging good one. And it's going to be talking about the vaccine they're coming out with, but the actual crux of all of this being the global economic reset. And this is basically what they're after. That's why this whole mess about this virus was created to begin with. Um, it, It was the vehicle for a lot of things to get done, like the destruction of local economies, that kind of thing, bringing you to your knees so you would submit and comply. Our co-host tonight, John LeCron, is a little bit late, so while we wait for him to join us, I'm going to talk to you about a few things. First off, with this supposed virus, they claim they cannot identify the virus, have not been able to identify the virus then how can you possibly conceivably create a vaccine to fight it? Which this is what tells us that um, the virus isn't what they claim it is. If you can't identify it, you cannot possibly make a vaccine. So what is the vaccine really about? What is its real intention? What are they hoping to do? Well, having perused the net to find out what was being said about the vaccine and the digital tattoo, and the nanogel that's going to be in it. Uh, What I found was page after page after page of people, oh, it's conspiracy theory. Oh, it you know, people are saying it's Gates, and and it isn't, And but it is. It is. And the vaccine will include the digital tattoo that if you don't have it, you won't be able to fly, walk, talk, (laughs) work, go to the doctor, go to school, You won't be able to do anything. They are basically going to be turning us into cryptocurrency, walking cryptocurrency, which is what we're basically going to be centering on tonight. And the way this is done is a nanogel will be in the vaccine, and it is replicating nucleic acid. It means it keeps recreating itself, and it spreads throughout the body. What the intent of this is, it will make you interactive, able to interface, or in other words, a computer will be able to interface with you, detect your blood pressure, your pulse, your respiration, and a lot of other information you may not want them to have. And it can locate you anywhere from satellite. They will be able to locate you. Any, you'll have your own signature. And this thing just keeps on growing. It keeps on replicating. There isn't a stop point on this. To make it work and efficient, you'll have the digital tattoo. And this will carry all your financial information, your medical records, all your vaccine uh, information, uh, anything they want to know about you. All your personal identity forms will all be available to them through this tattoo. This has got to be the cap on the total surveillance program. So they scan your tattoo 
and then check with the nanogel. It's depositing itself, and as we talked about last week, just think about the episode of Star Trek and the Borg, half machine, half human. It's not enough just to be human anymore. But beyond all of this, we have a government, and I'm talking specifically about the United States now, that is absolutely terrified of its own population, so much so that they will destroy us to save themselves. You cannot, year after year, decade after decade, war after war, dirty deal after dirty deal, not live with the knowledge that eventually the people you have screwed over, being us, are going to rise up and you're going to pay the bill on all this. Our own government is so terrified of us, is so afraid of us. We actually are the terrorists they fear. Every law that has come out, Patriot Act, Security Enhancement Act of 2003, which was just Patriot Act on steroids, every assault on the Constitution and your rights and liberties, the only time that is terrorism is ever mentioned is in relationship to that. Why they have to take away your rights and liberties because of terrorism. And as I've said before, terrorists don't give a damn what kind of laws they pass. If they did, they wouldn't be terrorists. They don't care what laws you pass. So why would you bother to pass a law? We already had 1,500 or plus laws on the books dealing with terrorism, none of which had ever been utilized. So you can see the idea here was not to corral terrorists. It was to corral us and begin the process of disempowering us. And now we're down to the tail end of the story here. How to track and keep track of all of us because we are what the government is afraid of. With that said, I welcome my co-host this evening, John LeCron. John, how you doing? Good evening, Marty. Yes. Wow. I was... Here we go. We're going to have <laughs> yes, a yes. good conversation about all of this, yes. you know. Yes. One of the things I think we need to do before we get down and dirty into the new plan, though, is to kind of give people a perspective of where we came from before we get got to here. I can assure you that absolutely none of this is by quote-unquote accident or quote-unquote um, it just kind of worked out that way. It's all by design. Every last bit of it is by design. And Folks, you've got to get that through your head. It's always been about centralized control, and I don't care if you're talking centralized control of a small geographic area or centralized control of the entire planet. It's always been that way, where you have small serfs and spikedoms, and they got answer to the bigger dog, and the bigger dog answers to even a bigger one, and on up the chain it goes. And, you know, you can sit here and you can look through history, and that's exactly what you'll discover. And what you have to realize, folks, is that you control people through several different avenues. Obviously, you can control them through uh, their voluntary submission. And I think everybody's pretty obvious. You can go work for somebody for X amount of dollars a day, and they're happy to do it. Um, you can also do it if you have a landowner, and that particular landowner says, okay, if you want to come work on my farm, we've got a deal going on that uh, we do 60-40, um, you know, that kind of a deal. And that is very normal. 
back in the day. Um, but that wasn't a very nice distribution of land because let's be totally honest about it. All of this land that's out there, we're crying out loud. There's more than enough land for everybody. There's more than enough resources for everybody. The problem is the powers that be have turned around and used financial systems to end up controlling all of the resources. And you could get away with that to some degree. Uh, obviously, if you were a landlord, you had a position of being in a strong place where your people had to depend on you because in order to plant the crops and to survive, they had to be dependent on you. That's a given. But here's the caveat. As it progressed, they discovered that there was additional things that you could do. You could also control people through um, the financial system. And by controlling people through the financial system, well, now you had a new angle to approach from. Because part of that, we just did the barter thing, okay? I rose corn, you rose, raised grapes, and, uh, you know, we did a private contract with each other and said, hey, you know, at the end of my corn-growing season, uh, you know, I'll give you X corn, you give me X, you know, pounds of grapes. And life was good. And at the termination of the contract, when it was terms were met, you know, the grapes and the corn were exchanged and the quote-unquote debt was extinguished. Um, but it wasn't what you call practical. So they had to figure out some other way. And again, we're talking about going back a lot of centuries here. We're not talking about last year by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but as with anything that you use, first of all, it's got to have some intrinsic value. In other words, it's got to be rare. And to give you an example of where it didn't work out very well was um, you look at the flowers over there in Holland. Okay. Now, those seeds and those flower plants they're very beautiful, don't get me wrong. I think they're absolutely gorgeous. And if you've ever seen them in Holland photographs or actually enjoyed the privilege of being there, you know what I'm talking about. But they were using the flower um, buds, the seeds, as a form of currency. And at one point there, they actually there was a uh, quote-unquote hyperinflationary phase for whatever reason where everybody went in a frenzy of buying these silly things. You know, not like there was going to be a shortage of those flowers, but for whatever reason it was, they drove up the quote-unquote price of these things. And of course, as with anything else, eventually the price crashed. Well, the flowers may be pretty, but uh, again, I don't think they're very edible. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. But, uh, you know, it's not the sole purpose in life, I would say. But that didn't make for a good currency, okay? And other things are not practical for currencies either. Now, I know that over the years they've used everything from seashells, um, you know, we can talk about the petrodollar in a few minutes where oil was used as a form of a currency. But again, how practical is it to carry around a, you know, a bunch of oil in your pocket? It's not, Okay. So we had to go and we had to find something that was, one, had intrinsic value, and two, 
was easily portable. Three, it didn't rot, didn't get destroyed. It could survive under certain circumstances. You know, all these wonderful things, but it couldn't be outrageously heavy. And so what ended up happening was uh, silver came into the thing. And here's what you need to know, folks. Believe it or not, silver back in the day was actually rarer than gold. And the reason for that, it wasn't that silver was rarer to pull it out of the ground because back in the day, it was about 15 to 1. In other words, for every 15 ounces of silver you could pull out of the ground, you could pull out one ounce of gold. But what made it more valuable was the fact it was very hard to find silver in a pure form. Okay. You could find silver mixed with other things, but separating it out was kind of a pain. So that, by default, made silver more valuable than gold. Now, gold has always been recognized as money, but, again, people don't realize that silver has been considered money long before gold ever was. And uh, this is an important thing to even now take into consideration. I sit here and I regularly remind people that gold is the banker's money, silver is the people's money, and debt is the slave's money. And if you sit there and you look at that Federal Reserve note, foreign banking script, fiat currency, you know, what is a note? It's a debt instrument. What is the Federal Reserve? Foreign bankers with direct ties to the Vatican and the Rothschilds. Okay, and we've had those conversations, so I'm not going to get into it down that particular rabbit hole tonight too deep but having said that so now we had established that gold and silver are considered to be money because you can a you know sit there and create it and make beautiful jewelry out of it do all these wonderful things with it it was small enough it was portable enough it was rare enough so that you ended up monopolizing a metal now by having it diversified amongst the population that was fine But when you started to, quote-unquote, take all of that back, all of a sudden, again, the control. Man was no longer working for just his daily living. He now had to work to turn around and use that labor of his to buy this metal with this uh, picture of a whoever on it. This goes back for millennia. And that, in turn, forced them into that system. So instead of now working for yourself from that perspective, you are now, in turn, working for whoever was the issue of this little disc. And, uh, again, gold and silver weren't the only ones. The Chinese also used, um, you know, copper and some brass and a few other things throughout the centuries as well. And believe it or not, the Chinese, I believe, were actually the first ones to use paper currency that we are aware of. Okay, and again, that's important knowledge. But as with anything, it can be destroyed. No currency ever survived. No currency has ever survived. Remember, folks, fiat means by dictate. Somebody in quote-unquote authority came out and said, hey, this is money. This is to be treated as money. You are to exchange your life force for it so that you can go out and buy things. Now, don't get me wrong. It's really nice to be able to sit there and use a standard something to be able to exchange. I want to go and I want uh, somebody's cow, 
but he doesn't want my four sheet for the cow, well, that kind of irritates me. But if I have a bunch of discs, and he's willing to take those discs because he can in turn sell me the cow, I give him the disc, and he turns around and buys the uh, um, whatever he needs for whatever purposes. It makes it easy. So what the whole purpose of it is just to make, quote-unquote, commerce easy to do, make the transaction easier with a standardized, a very standard, where everybody recognizes the value. And therein, again, lies the problem. When you have somebody in a, quote-unquote, authority, discovers, hey, well, you know, that used to be 90% silver, but now, hey, why don't we just debase it a little bit? So now it's 50% silver. And then after that, it's 20% silver. And after that, it's 10% silver. Well, this is what I tell people when it comes to numismatics. And for folks that don't know what numismatics is, this is collecting of coins. I think the original coin collectors were the people that saw the debasement of the currencies, of the coins, and in turn decided, you know what, I'm going to start hoarding these coins with a higher gold or silver content and give them back the more generic stuff. Now, the ones that get the real benefit from being the first ones to take possession of that disc, the one who creates it, is they, A, get to set the value of it, and B, they get to spend it first. So if they're in the background and sitting there mass-producing coins and they haven't told everybody that they've reduced the silver content or the gold content in the coin, and it's not, quote-unquote, obvious right out the starting gate to the people, you know, all of a sudden, instead of being able to make a 1,000 gold coins, you can now make 2,000 gold coins. Yeah, it may be a little bit different color, but the people, you know, they won't generally figure it out. But the people are still assuming that the coins had the same intrinsic value of the original coin, which you would have only been able to produce a 1,000. Well, this is the game that gets played. And this is, again, what happens and why currencies and coins and that kind of stuff always get debased over the course of time. And a strong coin that is recognized worldwide will carry with it the weight that's behind it. People will treat it with respect. People will honor it. Um, all you basically, all of you countries out there all produce a one ounce coin, a half ounce coin, a quarter ounce coin, and a tenth ounce coin in uh, gold, and uh, most of them do it in silver as well. And again, this is not a coincidence or an accident. A Canadian maple leaf carries the same basic weight, 31.1 grams, as a Canadian. Um, whether it's gold or silver, it's all a toy ounce, as an American silver eagle or some of these other different countries, a Chinese panda, whatever the case might be. So you have this, once again, a standard 31.1 grams, one troy ounce on gold, 999 pure, silver, 999 pure. That is a standard that's recognized worldwide. Again, what happens when they come in and they debase something? So now let's bring us back a little bit, take us back into American history now, because again, that plays a part. Um, England had what was called the sterling, and again, the word sterling, that's where you have 925 silver now. But again, it was recognized it was silver. And again, I've told you all that silver was always the priority money. 
and gold wasn't. But over the years, gold became the quote-unquote standard in America. We were founded on a bimetallic system, a bimetallic system. That's where gold and silver were both recognized in money, and they were interchangeable at a set rate. Um, But what ended up happening is all of a sudden, if you made a big gold strike or a big silver strike, all of a sudden there was more silver to gold ratio or the gold to silver ratio had changed. And uh, so all of a sudden gold is a lot more plentiful than it used to be. So that drops the value of this uh, gold, uh, which would by default increase the value of the silver. And of course, uh, if you find more silver, that debases the value of the silver. And of course, uh, drives the value of gold down or drives the value of gold up. And what ended up happening, take for instance, let's talk Spain. When Spain came over here and ended up going into South America, and they discovered all of this wonderful silver over there. Oh, it was a riot for the Spanish. They were taking all of this, you know, massive, massive, massive amounts of silver back over to Europe. And again, first few boatloads, that was all fine and dandy. But what you end up having is what is called monetary inflation. That's where you got too much money facing too few goods, and even with Things like gold and silver, this can happen. It's worse with fiat currencies, but in this particular case, case it impacted the uh, value of the silver. And so all of a sudden, the Spanish were busy uh, experiencing inflation, and of course, the rest of Europe was going along right alongside it because all of a sudden, the entire planet was being, at that time, was being uh, literally swamped with this new supply of silver that was coming from the Americas. Well, that causes a problem. Now, before I go on, do you have any uh, thoughts or questions that are right there now, Marty? I was just listening to this, you know, this, <clears throat> how money basically has evolved over time. And, John, when did we actually, was it 1943 that we actually went off the gold standard? Um, the gold standard was 1933 as far as for the Americans, okay. but for, but, uh, we'll get into that. That'll be, uh, you know, that's okay. why I wanted to stop kind of there before we moved on yes. to the next section. Okay. So, um, moving forward, uh, you know, America is growing as a country. It had its, uh, gold strike, you know, the 49ers out in California and it's had its silver strike. And, uh, folks, if you do not realize just how important those fines were for the growth of America and international commerce. I can't explain it. Um, because it's even, you know, we produced what were called trade dollars, trade dollars, and they were basically off of what is, uh, you know, the Spanish eight real piece. That's why you got eight real, where we also got the term four bits, you know, which is symbolic for a quarter, two bits, that kind of thing. And by having that thing to export overseas, we were able to bring in all of this wonderful stuff from, you know, across the globe. Because, again, silver and gold were recognized as money. And like I said before, silver has always been the preferred money, contrary to everybody's opinion that it's gold. It's not. It's always been silver. And therein, with this transition, America became more and more important. And again, this is the basis of the Revolutionary War. 
Because believe it or not, believe it or not, they tell us that the Revolutionary War was because the king was being a jerk and all of these things and all the taxes he was doing. Yeah, that was all true. But it was actually the issue of they did not want the Americas to have their own money. They didn't. Okay. Because what had ended up happening here in America, going back to what I was talking about earlier, where you had contracts between parties, you had farmers that were contracting with each other and they were trading their goods at the termination of the uh, contract. You know, when he you know, went to the field, got his corn, got his wheat, and they exchanged their bushels for each other, signed out the contract. Everybody was working. Colonies were growing, the uh, wealth of the country was growing. It was wonderful. But we were using everybody else's coins. You had everything circulating here. Most of it was Spanish stuff. There was English stuff here. A lot of it was, uh, there was French stuff here. So you actually had to know all of the different kinds of coins, and, you know, some were obviously more popular than others. So the Revolutionary War, like it says, was always about commerce. It was always about having its own money. It was always about having its ability to make your own decisions. And we're not going to get into the fact that we lost that particular war contrary to popular opinion. All you have to do is read the 1783 treaty to figure that one out. Um, Country got some autonomy. That's true. But the flip side of that particular coin, it also got itself into a contract and the terms of the contract weren't met. So we basically stayed subservient to the crown. That's, again, one of the reasons that we've been a victim of them for all these years. Um, Then you can move into, uh, let's talk the Civil War era for a little bit because this is a classic example of what happens. Now, again, the War of Northern Aggression I like to call it the Third Civil War because I thought the Revolutionary War was the first. The War of 1812 was the second. But the War of Northern Aggression, 1861 to 65, you had an uh, interesting situation happen. Now, the people behind that war, again, direct ties to the Vatican and direct ties to Europe, uh, they were creating all these problems, but one thing that was taking place now was Lincoln creating something called a greenback. This was debt-free money. It wasn't tied into the European bankers. And folks, just for your information, I do not think Lincoln was a hero. I think he was a war criminal and a major scumbag. But this is, again, historically important so that you need to comprehend that money matters. And by producing a greenback, He was able to flood the market. Now, the colonists did the same thing back during the Revolutionary War. And if you don't know where the term, not with a colonial, um, same concept. Paper money always returns to its intrinsic value, which is a big, fat zero. It's not worth a continental. But for a temporary amount, as long as it's got somebody's stamp of authority, you know, we will one day exchange it for this, gold or silver, something real, something tangible, and that's all good, fine, well, and dandy. So we had the War of Northern Aggression. 
I like to remind everybody that the North did not win, the South did not win. The only one that were, ones that won were the European bankers who came in and stole everything. Um, oh, and on a little side note there, here's something else you folks need to know because it's important with regards to banking. Now, everybody knows that Lincoln was assassinated. Okay, what most people say, well, was some, you know, Southerner that was all upset and, you know, tyrant, which was, of course, again, what Lincoln was. I don't argue that, and I had no problem with him getting his head shot off. But having said that, here's what most people do not know. This is critical knowledge, people. This is critical knowledge, and this is historical fact. This isn't conjecture. This isn't John's opinion. This is historical fact. So get it through your heads. Four men that were supposed to die that night, not one. Okay. Seward, the Secretary of State, was supposed to die. Then you had um, the general that had the United States Army, brain cramp, can't think of his name, and you had Vice President Johnson. Those four men were supposed to die, which was the entire government. Now, what ended up happening is in one case, I believe it was Seward that was stabbed, but he survived it. And uh, um, the uh, future president, past general of the Union Army, went out of town early, so he didn't get got. And the guy that went after Johnson um, lost his nerve. So three of the four men survived. Now, all of those assassination attempts came out of the Vatican. The Vatican. All roads lead to Rome, folks, and especially when it comes to banking. Don't care if you're offended. Don't care. And here's what you all don't realize you lost your perspectives on. There was a research done after the war into the assassination of Lincoln when they discovered that it was threat ties to the Vatican that did all this crap. They actually broke ties with the Vatican for over 100 years. It wasn't until Ronald Reagan became president that they again established international relations with the Vatican. Now, that's not saying that they didn't send some people over there to talk to the Vatican on a regular basis, which is, of course, they did. But they were not recognized. They were not recognized. And uh, again, on a little side note about uh, things along those lines, your uh, confederacy was, uh, again, sent their agents on over to the Vatican as well to sit there and have a conversation. And the Vatican, I believe, was the only country, quote-unquote, remember, it's a city-state, to uh, recognize the South. And having said that, even, um, they were being lied to. You know, it says, we support you, but in truth, they were in favor of the uh, Union. And again, if you don't know the historical relevance of Washington, the District of Criminal, and its ties to the Vatican Church. And again, all you have to do is look at the layout of the entire friggin' location, and you'll discover nothing but a bunch of occult bull. But uh, again, that's not the subject of tonight's show. So the purpose of all this garbage was, again, money. You cannot have a debt-free money being produced. And that's what Lincoln had done. And that's the big thing that got him killed. On top of the fact that uh, he had defended a um, 
a um, Catholic uh, gentleman who had been uh, had morals and integrity. And long story short, it was an interesting story. Again, this is history you don't read about, but for me tonight, um, the uh, priest was uh, the Catholic Church wanted to remove the priest because he was just getting a little bit too antsy for the priesthood, if you know what I mean. He actually had morals and standards. So uh, they wanted him gone. So they had false claim brought against him. And this was uh, a couple other Catholic uh, superiors to him. And Lincoln actually went in and defended this man. And at the very last moment, they had they got a witness that was actually in the building when the quote-unquote crime was supposedly had taken place. And he says, nope. Um, I was there when they were conspiring this thing, she said. <laughs> and so the uh, other two uh, priests, I think one was a bishop, they, of course, did him out of town. And uh, as Lincoln and his uh, client were walking out of the courthouse, uh, Lincoln looks on over and discovers that the, um, you know, the uh, priest is crying. And Lincoln looks at him and says, why are you crying? He says, you're free. He says, it's all good. He says, I'm not crying for me, he says. I'm crying for you because out there in the uh, hall, he says, I saw no less than four Jesuits ready to kill you. And again, history you don't hear about, but fact. All right, but anyway, I got off on the side tangent, but I thought it was important enough to do that. Now, back to the issue of money. So, War of Northern Aggression is over. We have a brand new corporation. Remember, the other corporation in the United States went bankrupt. That's what started the War of Northern Aggression. The big issue was always about money. Uh, all wars are about money, folks. Make sure you get that through your thick skulls. I don't care what you've been taught in the history books. All wars are about money. Oh, by the way, money, one eye, money. Anyway, back to the point. So you fast forward another 20 years. Remember, America is still on a biometallic system. All contracts are contracts. They still have validity. And here's the thing, though. The bank has conspired. And again, for folks that you're not aware of this, it's banking philosophy to do boom-bust cycles. It's a business model. Get this through your head. It's a business model. They destroy economies deliberately for the purposes of stealing. Nothing has changed in a couple hundred years at least, if not longer. And again, this is a cycle that takes place every 20 years, and we've seen it several times in my lifetime, and I'm only 51, so that should tell you something. And they're busy doing it again now, but we'll get to that in a few minutes. So they wanted to pass this thing where only gold would be considered money here in America. And uh, again, that created all kinds of controversy because they were actually successful in passing it. Well, then that meant silver was demonetized for the purposes of repayment of debts. It didn't mean silver wasn't money because it was still trading regularly. But it wasn't, it didn't have the same weight so all of a sudden you had, a, again, a manipulation of the value of a one thing over another that would not have been there without a dictative government that gave superiority to one over the other. 
Because back in the day, it was a real number, 15 ounces of silver coming out of the ground for one ounce of gold coming out of the ground. That was a real number. And by the way, for your information, folks, today's number, gold to silver ratio, eight ounces of silver coming out of the ground for one ounce of gold, trading at around $1,900 an ounce. Silver at 25. Think there might be a problem? That's a hint, people. Buy silver. Back to the point. Okay. So after that, we had a very interesting thing happen. You know, we had a speech by a certain presidential candidate, uh, Cross of Gold speech. Go ahead and look it up. And a neat book came out of there. Again, from that era, if you're not aware of it, uh, we have a situation with regards to a <clears throat> Frank L. Baum, his book. And the quote-unquote Yellow Brick Road was a reference to, of course, uh, the uh, gold and uh, what you do not know, because you've all watched the movies but you haven't read the book, is uh, Dorothy's shoes were not made out of red. They were made out of silver. And what happened? Right at the beginning of the movie, you see one of the quote-unquote witches get crushed. Well, what was the symbology of the witch? The witch was one of the banks. One of the wicked witch of the each and the wicked witch of the west. They were different banks warring against each other. One of them lost. And... Uh, what did uh, the girl tell Dorothy at the end of the movie? You know, tap your shoes together. You've always had the power to go home. Same concept. Anyway, the bankers crashed the economy again in the 1890s and stole a bunch of stuff, and then they did it again in 1907. And remember, folks, this is what's called vulture capitalism. It's by design. They're doing it again now, vulture capitalism. Look it up. And this is banking fraud, this is banking corruption, this is garbage. But this is their pattern, it's a part of their building of their quote-unquote financial empire at the expense of the rest of the planet. So this, of course, has pissed off the American people. They've learned more than enough about bankers, and they say, we need to have a change, damn it. This is garbage. These bankers are running us rampant. They're busy stealing everything. So the bankers got together and decided, you know what, they're going to make some changes, so let's be on top of this thing. And, uh, you know, the Rothschild Stooges over here, uh, J.P. Morgan and his agents, uh, made a little trip on down south in Georgia and had a little conversation. You can read all about it in a book by G. Edward Griffin um, talking about the establishment of the Federal Reserve. And so they wrote the bill. They wrote it. And one of the senators, the Aldrich, you know, he presented it, the Aldrich plan. And uh, if you, again, know anything about your history, there was another gentleman that wrote a book about uh, the vulture bankers at the time. And uh, he was the father of the gentleman that uh, flew the spirit of St. Louis. I'm having a brain cramp off the top of my head right now. We'll think about it in a minute. But this congressman here wrote a book exposing the corruption, talking, this was 1912, exposing the corruption and talking about how the bankers were busy, again, pillaging the country. He was also talking about some of the smaller bankers were busy telling them, saying, hey, we can't openly discuss this with you, 
but here's a letter from us. We do not want to see this uh, Federal Reserve Bank implemented. Um, on that same note, you had a uh, ship where J.P. Morgan invited all of uh, the uh, people that were bankers that were important and were opposed to his uh, Federal Reserve System got invited into this uh, quote-unquote Titanic, although it wasn't actually the Titanic that went down. It was a sister ship. But again, going back into that story, when uh, time came for the ship to sail, J.P. Morgan and all of J.P. Morgan's fine antiques and art weren't on it. But all the people that were post the Federal Reserve were. And when the ship went down and all those bankers showed up dead, well, that just removed a whole bunch of roadblocks. And to give you a perspective of how important those people that were on those that ship their value today would mirror Bill Gates and uh, some of the other Jeff Bezos and that kind of thing back in the day. Don't think they would have had a little bit of clout? Of course they would have. They could have stopped it. The sinking of the Titanic, quote-unquote, was a murder, and it was also a scam to uh, you know, get reparations for the uh, ship, which I believe they increased the insurance value like four times over the value of the ship, which again was an insurance scam, but we don't talk about all that either. So, meanwhile, the Aldrich plan goes forward, and, uh, you know, the bankers, they the ones who wrote this, but they're busy talking. Oh, this will be horrible for the bankers. You know, they're smiling in the background, but, you know, putting on a real good show for the public. This will be terrible if they pass this. So all the people saying, yes, we need this reform. Must do it now. So they got the Federal Reserve. And, of course, there's high fives going on in the banking enterprises because the Federal Reserve did two things. It centralized power in the hands of a foreign banking cartel. And that's what it is. It's not an American bank, and there's nothing federal as far as United States, Inc. is concerned, although federal means by agreement and by contract, which is true in what they did do. And there is no reserves, obviously. And I wouldn't call it a bank. i call it a crime syndicate. But anyway, again, that's a problem because you've monopolized power. What you need to realize is prior to the Federal Reserve Banks, banks were state or local banks. All banks were. Now, yes, there were some banks that were closing and the guy left town with the money. Okay, we get that. That happened on occasion, true. But that didn't happen for most of the cases. The local banker was a good man that was running it. He cared about his community. He was the pillar of the community, and he was looking out. He knew who were good credit risk. Because remember, he was controlling people's real money. He recognized that there was real value there because people were exchanging life force for a form of metal. Now, these banks could also issue notes based on, well, they weren't notes. They could issue receipts on their gold and silver. And they also had to put some of their gold and silver into the um, treasury of the United States, again, to protect the depositors. This is all wonderful things that were already in place to protect the people. Now, it wasn't perfect, but it was better than what we got with the Federal Reserve Act. 
And so what ended up happening was now all of a sudden the Federal Reserve says, okay, we get to shut down all of these banks that we don't like, which is what they did. And at the same time, all of these state banks and all these local banks, the ones that were still kept open, they were told they could no longer issue their own um, notes. They only could do uh, or their own um, financial instruments. They could only use the Federal Reserve note system. They had to become members of the Federal Reserve, which is, again, what they did. Now, the Federal Reserve note was originally only supposed to be there as a percentage of the amount of total currency in circulation. It was only supposed to be used in times of severe contraction. In other words, the economy was crashing. There was a liquidity problem. People needed to have something to spend. And so they could, you know, create 10, 15, 20% over whatever above and beyond the money system. But remember, the Federal Reserve was not created for the benefit of the people, contrary to the story that the people were told when they passed it. It was created for the sole purpose of profiting bankers and the crime syndicate in Europe, a.k.a. the Vatican. So by doing this, now you had centralized control in 1913 headed to some bankers at the Federal Reserve. Now, again, you had some controls, quote-unquote, put into place. And um, when the situation rolled around, all it took was 20 more years to bankrupt the country. Only 20 years. They played the same game in 1929 that they played back after... Um, the uh, English and French went to war with each other. The Battle of Waterloo was decided, and uh, the French lost. The English were the winners, and the Rothschild knew this. Went in to the uh, English, started selling all of his stocks, starting selling all of his government bonds. Everybody figured that the English had lost the battle, that the French had won, so it was a melee who can get out of the currency faster, who could get out of whatever, you know, anything we can get for anything. They just mass sell off of everything. Take whatever somebody hands you. But then at the uh, day progressed, Rothschild did something interesting. He told his agents, listen, I want you to go back and buy it all back. So they went in and bought it all back. For pennies on a dollar. And then, of course, what ended up happening was the news finally made it back that, hey, the French actually lost the battle, the English actually won the battle, which, of course, sent all the stocks and all those government bonds to the roof. And all of a sudden, Rothschild, who was already incredibly rich, was now in control of the Bank of England. He stole it from the king. So he became the Vatican's banker, which, again, we've talked about on this show, and I'm not going to get into all that diatribe, but, again, they played the exact same game again. In the 1920s, you have what was called the Roaring Twenties, and the only reason they could get away with the crap that they got away with by printing all this money for World War I 
was because of a fiat currency. They had to have that fiat currency in order to turn around and create this system where they could finance their wars. Because you got to remember, most wars, what ended up happening, yes, some dead instruments were produced, yes, but they were also supplied with money from the people. If the people supported the war, they were willing to buy government bonds with a promise of interest, you know, and, uh, of course, that implied gold and silver got turned over to the treasury and they got pieces of paper. And the North did this and the South did this. And um, so 1929 rolls around. You ended up seeing a massive crash of the stock market. You know, too, once again, you had too much money, fiat currency, chasing too few goods, stocks. Well, you can't keep there and keep blowing up a bubble over and over again and then not expect the inflator to blow up in your face. Okay, what happens when you blow up a balloon beyond its point? It blows up. Well, that's what happened with the stock market. Crash. Down, down the rabbit hole it went. And again, the bankers are in a really nice position to buy up everything, the entire stock market for pennies on the dollar. Gee, where have we heard this before? So that's what happened. In 1933, rolls around. And again, you've heard me talk about uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He was a New York banker. He became president of the United States Corporation. And what's the first thing he does? And I've talked about it repetitively on this show. Go look it up on YouTube. Today is a day of national consecration. You can hear him say it. The very first words out of his mouth. His first act as president of the United States Corporation. Now, if you look up the printed versions of that, you will not find them anywhere. Nowhere. And there's a reason for that, because people might turn around and start asking the question, well, what does that mean? Today is a day of national consecration. Well, like I keep telling you folks, a uh, nation is not what you think it is. It is the company, the corporation. It's not America. It's the corporation. And consecration is where you're sitting there and pledging allegiance and to serve the church. And what did I say? Vatican banking, Federal Reserve ties. At that point, he committed to making the corporation United States the slave to the Vatican. And at the same time, he hypothecated every American United States citizen, 14th Amendment corporate debt slave, stole all of the property. And also at the same time, you know, back there, right, when he became in charge, was uh, passed an issue that says, hey, give me all of your gold. And remember, gold was now the only form of currency to pay back a debt. So, again, you've got centralization of power, and you've got the dictate of authority by government. Now, the first thing the scumbag does once all the gold comes in, the Federal Reserve bankers are busy doing high fives yet again because they took over the currency 20 years earlier, and now they just stole all the people's gold. A big celebration on Wall Street, not, but uh, bankers were having a good time on it. The end result, again, 
theft value of gold from $20.63 to $35 an ounce. Well, that was wonderful for the bankers and for United States Inc. because now they can go buy even more with the same gold they just stolen from the people at $20.63 an ounce and replaced it with the fiat currency that means nothing. Okay. Silver certificates were still circulating, but all gold certificates, which were symbolic. In order to produce a gold certificate, you had to have gold backing it. In order to produce a silver certificate, you had to have a silver dollar backing it. That's fact. But when we turned over the gold and the gold notes, because the president that everybody trusted and loved, who saved America, not because under the war he promised he wouldn't do either, but that again is beside the point. The bankers really had the country now. Absolute control. So we move into World War II. Again, you can't do major wars without fiat money. You have to have it, because gold and silver. People just ain't going to tolerate the billions and billions of dollars at the time that was necessary to fight those wars. Now we spend that on a daily basis and nobody thinks twice about it, but back then it was real money. And again, people don't realize it, but people financed that war. Um, even with as little as 10 cents and 25 cents, you could actually go and buy, if you went to the post office, they would give you a book. And then what you would do is you would give them 10 cents or 25 cents, depending on which book you had. Uh, you would put the stamps that they gave you into this book. And when you filled up the book, you turned it in, and they gave you a savings bond from the United States Incorporated. And this, of course, helped finance this. This is why you had the war bond drive, if you've seen any World War II footage where it shows it, or World War II advertisements about war, buy war bonds, buy war bonds. Must beat those damn Nazis and down with Yarmouth, uh, you know, Japanese, whatever the case might be. So we had a brand new situation happen out of that. And it was where England, America, and the Russians got together and said that, okay, now the American quote unquote dollar is going to be based on this $35 gold thing, and all other currencies are going to be off of it. Well, that thing held for a long time. Not. Fast forward a couple decades after World War II, brand new problem shows up. You know, you had uh, the uh, quote-unquote LBJ and his guns and butter routine after they murdered Kennedy again, because Kennedy... It was busy issuing debt-free money. United States notes, ladies and gentlemen, United States notes had red seals and they were not based on debt. The system is based on production of bonds and they turn around and sell those bonds into the market. And the Federal Reserve basically pays, I think, 7 to 12. Well, back in the day, it was paying like 7 cents. Now it costs them, I think, about 15 cents for any note that gets produced by the printing arm of the United States Corporation. And it doesn't matter what denomination it is, a $1, $5, $10, $50, $120, whatever. 
Um, that's all it costs at the early reserve to produce that. Again, great job, great way of making money if you can get it. Because now they got what's called signage, signage. Um, I take my twelve cents and buy my hundred dollar bill, and I go spend my hundred dollar bill on uh, you know hookers and uh, cocaine. Life is good, right? You know, all it cost me was twelve stinking cents. This is what they did, folks. This is not conjecture. This is what they did. And again, Wall Street had a good time because, hey, we get access. Whoever gets access to the money first wins. And as they mass produced all of this stuff, yeah, currency, and produced it over and over and over again, well, that was busy debasing all other currencies that were out there, which was, of course, causing this thing we call inflation. Inflation is a monetary thing. People say, well, it's the price of you know, things going up. Well, why is the price of things going up? Again, going right back to what you've heard me say three times already tonight, too much money chasing too few goods. Too much money chasing too few tangible goods. Debasement of the currency means you have to have more of it to buy the same amount of goods or services. So anyway... The uh, French were the final <clears throat> nail in the coffin of that particular deal. And uh, that was under Nixon, where he, quote-unquote, closed the gold window. He kept saying, okay, here I am with my uh, dollars, now I want my gold. And, uh, well, you know, had this trade imbalance thing going on. And the end result of that particular fiasco was, okay, well, we ran out of gold. Fort Knox was empty. They don't tell you that, but that's what happened. So uh, Nixon closed the gold window, and the quote that I love so much of him, he says, uh, we are all Keynesians now. We are all Keynesians now. And for folks that don't know it, Keynes was an economist back during the FDR era who believed that government should come in and do all this spending when the economy contracted. But on that same note, Keynes never, ever, ever, promoted endless money printing, which is what's going on right now, by the way. He says only produce enough so that the economy can keep going until it naturally picks up on its own and goes forward as it should have. You know, same concept, which was the argument for creating the Federal Reserve. Gee, they just keep using the same playbook. They just change some of the words and who says it, okay? So what do we have in the late 70s under uh, um, Jimmy Carter? Dag Inflation. That's a stagnating economy, high inflation. Well, this didn't hold up too very well. So what did they end up having to do? They went and had a conversation with the Saudis. And the Saudis' conversation went like this. Hey, Saudi Arabia, you're basically the big bug over here in OPEC, oil-producing countries of the world. Um, If you agree to only take dollars... For your oil, we will give you all of this money. We will give you protection. We will give you all these fine uh, weaponry and all this kind of cool stuff. And the Saudis went stupid. They said, yeah, we like this deal. So that was the establishment of the petrodollar. And by establishing the petrodollar, you now had a brand new situation take place. They are manipulating the price of gold and the price of silver. 
Now, also remember, we had this 1933 gold issue that said Americans couldn't own any gold coins unless they were numismatic. And uh, that got lifted again in the uh, early 80s, I believe it was. And that was a thing, thankfully, to Ron Paul, I would add. But uh, when that happened, we also had silver. Late 60s, silver got pulled in circulation. In 1964 was the last year that they produced silver coins for general circulation. Now, the half dollars would drop from 90% silver to 40% silver from 65 to 1970. And the 1970 Kennedy half dollar was only uh, put out in uh, mint sets and proof sets, so that didn't circulate either. So again, what did I tell you they do when they're debasing a currency? They reduce the amount of metal in it, right? So they were busy producing all of these coins dated 1964 to offset the fact that they were busy um, pulling all the previous silver coins. And it wasn't just this smuck on the street that figured out the scam and said, you know what, I'm going to start uh, trading my dollars in for these uh, pieces of silver. And that's what happened. The banks were busy doing it also. And when they did it, remember, that silver certificate that was still circulating back in the day, you could take that silver certificate into a bank and say, this is a silver certificate. Give me my Morgan and my P silver dollar. That silver certificate represented. And a couple years after the 1964 is when the bank says, oh, well, no, sorry, you can turn in your silver certificates now and we'll give you a little bag of silver, and uh, it wasn't the silver dollar that was supposed to represent. And then, you know, right after that, they says, okay, and after this deadline, it just trades like a normal dollar. Again, stealing your gold and stealing your silver. Gee, where have we seen this pattern before? Oh, that's right, with bankers. No big surprise there, right? So anyway, now here we are in the 80s. So we got inflation running rampant. Uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve gets up and says, well, we must stop this inflation. So his answer to stopping inflation, and again, this is all bank-generated garbage. And, of course, Ronald Reagan is busy creating his own version of guns and butter because he's got in his, uh, you know, we're in a quote-unquote Cold War with Russians. And uh, so, boom. Inflation gets beaten down. Why? Because they raise the interest rates from a few percentage points up to around 18%. Okay, folks, if you're not aware of what that is, <laughs> that's theft at a very high level. And look at what your average credit card is charging people now. If you're lucky, 25%. Some people are paying 35% or more in interest per year to borrow money. And remember, it's all it's all a figment of your imagination anyway. That should tell you something. Anyway, getting off on tangents, try to teach people a little bit about their own personal finances, so because again, it's relevant. As long as we consent to their system, folks, they're going to keep pillaging you every few years. Get it through your head, please. All right, so inflation is brought under control, quote unquote, and. Again, the bankers have a heyday in the 90s and early 2000s, except something new and different happened. What happens? Oh, that's right, a couple of airplanes. 
showed up in a couple designated locations. <clears throat> uh, coincidentally, all kind of important with regards to banking. Again, gee, big surprise, right? I only have 9-11. Well, yes, folks. First of all, there's a reason. There's a reason that the Twin Towers were important. Okay? The World Bank... All of the banking of the world was taking place. Trillions of dollars of transactions a day were going to that place. What happens? A couple aircraft show up. They may not have had people in them. A lot of us think it was uh, <clears throat> remote-controlled drones, but that's, again, a story for a different day. And the only towers to ever fall, including one that wasn't hit by anything, all the way to the floor, ground, boom. Just like a demolition. Hmm, interesting. Uh, well, the only three buildings ever happened were all in the same day and all in New York. Gee, that's so fascinating. It was hit by a different aircraft ease, and, you know, we had all these other uh, places around the world where you had all these massive fires and they burned for days, and yet the building didn't collapse. And, I don't know, folks. Maybe you ought to question the narrative. Anyway, off that subject. It was a bank heist, folks. There were two things that were going on. Bush was in charge of security there on, uh, up until the day before, September 11th. And again, if you don't know the symbology of the number 11, look it up. I mean, there's <clears throat> all kinds of gematria and all kinds of stuff behind all the symbolism that was there. And, uh, again, the bank heist, you can read about it. The uh, bonds, the bushes were um, busy producing all these fake bonds, I guess, and they were being distributed, and they would now do. But how, how coincidental, how nice it is that uh, these buildings just happened to collapse. And all these short trades created from, you know, before on all the major airline stocks and, Oh, boy, who called that one right, right? Well, we don't know any of that, you know. Um, and for you folks that have never watched the uh, show uh, Loose Change Loose Change on YouTube, it may still be there or it may have been deleted because of its uh, politically incorrect uh, truth-telling. Um, they discovered some financial records that they were actually able to restore. <laughs> Let's just say... Uh, People should have been going to jail for that, but didn't. But anyway, I'm off the tangent of um, finances again. So now we fast-forwarded. We have another crash, again, bank-created uh, in 2007 and eight. You know, I knew about the 2008 recession in 2006 because I was following all the right people. And, folks, if you're not aware of it, you're not in a recession right now. You are in a full-blown depression that makes 1933 look like the good old days. Let me say that again, just so it gets through your thick skulls. You are living in a depression that is greater than the Great Depression of 1933 to 1942. The only thing that quote-unquote saved the country was all of the quote-unquote war spending, but again, that's beside the point of the fact that FDR stole everything, stole everybody's money and then created all these wonderful make-work programs. But, Going back to now, 
So you had all the theft of all these houses and all of this stuff that's taking place. And remember, you've all been hypothecated. You're now debt slaves. You've been debt slaves your entire lives, and you're going to die debt slaves because you haven't figured any of this out yet. Um, they cannot, this is a debt-based system. They have to continuously create more and more and more of this thing called money. And it's all fiction. It's all created out of thin air. It's not based on anything. And while they've been doing this, they've been manipulating the price of gold and the price of silver down. They've also been manipulating the price of stocks and bonds and all that kind of crap. Okay. And uh, you need to be paying attention to what's going on, folks. Right here, right now, they are implementing the global economic reset because they knew they couldn't continue to do this. They can't. They have created trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in 2020. That's dwarfs anything they've ever spent in the past years. Dwarfs it in every sense of the word. So by doing this, what they have ended up happening is this whole coronavirus hoax is then done to cover, to cover the fact that they are busy going into this global economic reset. And just like Marty said at the beginning of the show, it's a brand new system. Now, we've talked about the fact that in 1988, The Economist magazine had a picture of a phoenix bird rising from the ashes of all of the burning currencies of the world. That was 1988. The phoenix bird was wearing a pendant around its neck. The pendant, of course, was made out of gold. And the pendant had the date 2018 on it. Well, they implemented that plan that was told to everybody back in 1988, not that very many people other than people like me were paying attention to. 33 years, 1988, come to 2021. 2021, folks, and for you don't realize number 33 is incredibly important, especially to these occult bankers. They love their numbers. Look up Gematria, people. It's real. Anyway, again, I'm getting off a tangent. So 2020, we had this massive theft, massive money printing. The banks and the corporations are coming in and buying everything again, pennies on the dollar, while everybody goes broke on Main Street. Businesses close. The only people making money, businesses making money, are the mega corporations. The Walmarts didn't get closed. Mom and Pop around the corner did Jeff Bezos is making trillions. Bill Gates is making trillions. Again. But that's not helping the guy on the street that's now unemployed. Some of them who were business owners who spent a lifetime building a business that got shut down because of some government mandate, some talking head puppet of the system says, no, shut it down. None of this is a coincidence, folks. And if I can't convince you of anything the fact that this coronavirus thing is a hoax, I would just like to remind you that the two the twelve hundred dollar check that y'all got, maybe if you file your taxes like a good little slave, that twelve hundred dollar check, you think that was created in twenty twenty? That legislation was implemented in January of two thousand and nineteen, a full year before the first talking head started talking about the hoax on the television set. 
a full year before. Wake up. The system they're implementing is based on cryptocurrency. And I love the word crypto, crypt, death. All currencies, that's all they are. They're symbolic. They're fiction. There's something in your mind. You say, but I go to work every day and I get a paycheck at the end of the week and I go buy my food and pay my rent. And Yeah, you do. Because the other schmuck is no smarter than you are. Hasn't figured out that there is no value there, especially with the fact that they're busy producing trillions of those every single year. Now, we were in blast in that we were able to have the quote-unquote world reserve currency for decades. So we exported our inflation overseas. We got to import all of their cool trinkets into America. Get fat, get rich, enjoy cheap stuff from China. Meanwhile, they say the Chinese are manipulating their currency, which they are, but <laughs> nowhere near as badly as the Americans are manipulating ours. And again, it's not ours, it's the Federal Reserves, which is a foreign banking cartel with ties to Vatican. But again, destroying the currency. They're destroying it. It's not an accident, it's happening. It's by design. Because they now need to take this to a brand new level. They've got to get your consent to this brand new system. And how do they do it? They get everybody all upset with them, aka 1907, 1912. Oh, those damn bakers, we gotta do something! And what happens again? Nothing changes. The same playbook. The same playbook. Oh, we've got a solution for you folks. Yeah, we call it cryptocurrency. Take this little mark over here. Yeah, it's all good. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the back rooms, they're going to go up high five again in a couple of years. It's so stupid, suckers. Yeah, they bought it again. What are we going to do in 2112? Think about it. Back to you for a minute, Marty. Yeah, I think what's starting to dawn on people is, number one, even the hardcore, diehard, the coronavirus is real, people are starting to wake up and realize there isn't anything real about it. And when the CDC comes out and admits that less than 9,000 people who took the test actually had it, although they could, how they can even make that claim because... Uh, they claim they can't identify the virus. So how do you know what the hell they had? But anyway, and now they're predicting another 200,000 deaths on the second wave. I would swear the whole government is clairvoyant. And they can see into the future. They know what's going to happen. Uh-huh. Um, but in this vaccine they're coming out with is a nanogel that I talked about at the beginning of the show. And it will be a combination of that spreading through your body and this digital tattoo from this vaccine that's going to have all this personal and private information about you in it. And the onset of this, uh, you know, cash, you could be spreading the virus with cash. Oh, shut up. Like it's not going to stick to that plastic card. Um, it's just... <laughs> 
but you're, it's going to get to the point you're not even going to need the card. You take that vaccine, you are not going to be able to use your card because it will be of no use. And the reason it will be of no use is because all of your financial information will be on board. And you basically will be a walking cryptocurrency ATM. And this more than anything, you know, I, I, I know this sounds extreme and unrelated, but the attempts all these years to strike down the Second Amendment, they don't care what kind of guns or weapons you have because they got things that are so terrible that it make your gun look like a pea shooter. It says don't want to fight. But what they're after more than that is if you strike down the Second Amendment and you try to disarm the country, it's disempowering. The psychological effect would be devastating. It is the underpinning to our belief system about the Constitution and our rights. So you're disempowered, and now they take away your money. And you have no way to buy or sell or get anything without them giving their approval. And that'll all be done on board you. They can cut you off, shut you off at any time. And this is what's concerning people. Is this actually, like I said at the beginning of the show, I looked at page after page after page on Google about how this was conspiracy theory. Oh, all these conspiracy theories. And they're picking on poor Bill Gates. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't have enough chutzpah to get on the net and make some statement like that. Bill Gates has made very clear he's a genocidal maniac. He wants to depopulate the earth. Nobody's worthy of living but him and his male-looking wife. And I think they have children. That's scary. But um, you talk about propaganda and censorship and no matter how many John, no how much, matter how much information you give out, no matter how accurate it is, how provable, documentable, these people will scream conspiracy theorists, conspiracy theorists, fake news, fake news, and haven't got a clue what you're talking, what you're saying, won't listen. And then when it befalls them, they'll scream the loudest for you to come help them. I, I don't know. I don't know where... I'm I'm not going to I don't know about you. I'm not taking any vaccine. And I mean this, you you got want you to remember I said this. If it comes down to them vaccinating me or dropping me dead on the spot, I'll take option 2. Go ahead and shoot. Um I am not taking any vaccine. I will not live in a world where <laughs> I'm being surveilled at that level. It's bad enough the way it is. And I want my money in my hand. I want to know where I'm at financially. I don't need somebody's approval, especially from somebody unseen, about what I can buy or sell or do with my money. And But the fact is that it gets down to is we really don't have any money. We don't have anything that's, that I would call money. We have, as you said, debtor's notes. We've got the U.S. Treasury saying, oh, there's a coin shortage. There's a coin shortage. And then here last month came out and said that they have mountains of coins, that the banks, the retailers aren't ordering coins. There's no coin shortage. 
Absolutely none. And initially, the story was that everybody at the uh, the government mint where they make the coins had COVID. <clears throat> I don't think so. But basically, they just shut the mint down. But we've been played so hard on this, and they have been outed so badly. I, John, I don't understand how they keep this thing going and still come out with just more and more senseless, useless information that's in 99% of the time fabricated. But the, why? what I don't understand is what is the purpose of this cryptocurrency? What is the purpose of taking away cash money? I don't get it. I, I just don't get it. Well, in a nutshell, I know we need to talk a little bit more about crypto, and we're running out of time, so let me wrap it up with all of us. Let's talk about crypto. It's about control, because now once you have the ability to create a cryptocurrency, again, it's coming directly from the same people. Nothing's changed. You can also track everything that they do, everything they buy, everybody they interact with, every transaction. There's no more paying some kid, you know, to mow the lawn with a $10 bill or $20 bill. No, no, you've got to give them cryptocurrency. It's all taxable. It's all tracked. They can figure out every little thing that you do, where you go, what you, you know, you have no privacy already, but that's, again, part of the game here. Um, I know a lot of people are interested in cryptocurrency because they figure it's a way to make money. And... Um, you know, they sit there and they say, look at Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you know, at one point was almost worthless and now it's 12000 or some stupid number like that. And again, folks, it's a manipulated market. Even in, yes, it's decentralized. Okay, I get that. But it's still something that's not tangible. And if you destroy the whole economy, from whatever reason, will it make a difference? Because remember, a deal can only happen when two people agree on a payment. Now, you can come to me with your crypt crap all day long and say, I've got Bitcoin. I'm happy for you, brother. Go out and trade it for some gold and silver and come back and see me. Then we got something to talk about. It's fiction. It's in your mind. It's in your imagination. It has no intrinsic value. And here's the other thing you have to take into consideration, folks, and you have to take it into consideration. What happens if the grid goes down? How many times have you not been able to go into a store just because there was a storm that knocked down an electrical system and therefore they couldn't run the machines, they didn't have lights on in the building? Well, guess what, folks? In a grid-down scenario, you have the same situation. And now, you better have something real and tangible if the guy at the store has something that you want to buy from him. And this is why I encourage everybody to have a little bit of silver hanging around, a little bit of gold hanging around. But anyway, I know this is cryptocurrency talk, okay? Cryptocurrency is the new system they're implementing. It's not for your benefit. You need to be aware that the Federal Reserve Crime Syndicate, just a currency, the very first one, here this year. So we're going to see it implemented. You've heard me say on this show, they're going to turn each one of us into a walking and talking cryptocurrency. 
where we're going to be generating crypto for whatever daily activities we do. You've also heard me talk a lot about the fact that um, the Chinese have a social credit score. Well, the wonderful thing about a social credit score, and I've already said I will have mine will be in the negative because I don't party the party line. Um, they decide they don't like you. They just shut off your chip. All that crypto, you might have a million dollars in crypto in your quote-unquote chip. And, uh, oh, you talked bad about Corona. Well, we'll just delete that out of your account. So you go into the store, to, you know, going to buy your latest Lamborghini or maybe you just there to order a pizza. I'm sorry. It's been denied. What do you mean it's been denied? I had a million dollars in crypto there. Sorry, it says you have nothing. You are a slave to them. And crypto is no different. It's just a newer version of this thing we call Federal Reserve notes, which is a new version of all other currencies. Welcome to the world that we live in. It's changing, folks, and you better be prepared to change it. Because where we're at right now, where they're going to take us, it's not a good thing. It's not a good thing at all to realize this. And the only way they can get away with it is if we let them. So tread carefully and decide, really decide, folks, if you want to be, once again, a puppet to the bankers to be at their beck and call and under their thumb and absolute control for the rest of your life. Back to you, Marty. All right. Um, I think... I, I don't know, Jonathan. I, in, in all that I've dealt with over the years, and I've seen a lot of crap come and go, but I can't say that I've ever been at a point where I was absolutely frightened, and today I am. I'm afraid for all of us. Like I say, the people who hate us the most, when George Bush stood up and said, they hate us for our freedoms, I remember saying out loud, no, you hate us for our freedoms. And I was absolutely right. Uh, Our own government despises the fact that we exist and has value in us only if they can tax us. And when I say our government, these are other men and women (coughs) who have decided that they're far more special than we are. And by we, I mean those of us out here in the general public. Now we've just watched our government shut down our local economies, the big box corporate stores could stay open, the casinos could stay open, liquor stores, on and on and on could stay open. But all your small, independently owned businesses in your community were forced to shut down. There's a reason for that. They destroyed the local economies across the country, the the little businesses that drove your local economy and made it vibrant. They destroyed those. They knocked them out of business. Now they say 60% of them are never going to come back. This leaves 30 to 40 million people out of work. Now think about that. No work. And this while companies are closing up and moving overseas and without penalty. And we, we're, they're digging a hole for us. They're digging a hole. And the final straw to me, John, 
is this taking away of cash money. We won't be able to barter, trade, do anything. Do anything. And I keep saying, they'll tell you, go get your COVID test, which is worthless. They'll tell you all kinds of things, but they won't tell you how to grow your own food. But they'll send the USDA teams out to tear your garden out. Being set up. You're being set up. In fact, they're about done setting us up. We've got about a minute and 40 seconds left here. John, do you have any final words? Folks, if you're going to play the crypto game, just recognize that uh, jump in and jump out if you think you can make money at it. Um, But in the end, you know, treat it for in the same way as you would treat anything else. Um, It's great and wonderful to have up until it's not. You look at what happened in the Weimar Republic. They mass-produced large quantities of bills that weren't enough to sit there. It was cheaper to burn you know, stacks of currency than yeah. it was to go out by cordwood. Folks, right. the dollar is going there. All the currencies of the world are going there, and they're implementing this brand-new system based on a cryptocurrency. Don't fall for the lie. Don't fall for the trap. Buy some real assets, include food, and uh, have some things to protect yourself and survive because this transition yes. is not going to be pleasant. It's going to be horrid. Yes. Just be aware. Yes. Be aware. And that's just it. That's all we can do, John, is give people, you know, a cautionary note. They're going to do what they do. You can believe what we've said or not, but the days will prove us out. Anyway, thanks, everybody, for tuning in this evening. John, thank you. And we'll be back next Monday night. I don't know what our topic will be, but it'll be something. So thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and good night.